Hey, welcome to New River Church's podcast. We're really glad you decided to join us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and lifts you up. If you're looking for some more information about New River Church, just check us out at newriverchurch.org. Yesterday, you know, my wife and I are taking care of my father-in-law who has Alzheimer's, and um, in many respects, that's a lot like having another child in, in the house. And so yesterday, uh, you know, he really, he really wanted to, he wants to help, he wants to do things, and I certainly get that, because, you know, that gives us a sense of dignity. It's, it's important, right, to feel like I'm contributing. So, <clears throat> so yesterday we were doing the leaves together in, in my yard, and, and uh, you know, I mean, it was, it was great. I, I worked around them a lot. But um, <laughs> we, had a, we had a good time together. And I had two neighbors even, God bless neighbors, but two neighbors that even asked, hey, do you want my leaf blower? And they had these big, huge leaf blowers, and we turned them down because I wanted to have the opportunity to work with my father-in-law and to have that. Otherwise, I mean, sure, I could do the leaf blower and blow that whole thing out in a half hour, but instead we took three hours, and we were working in the yard together. And I learned something out of that, you know? There's something in that shared experience that's really sweet. Like, there's getting the work done, and that's a good thing. It's all getting work done is good. But there's also something about sharing the work with someone else. Like, there's a joy in that as well. And a lot of times we tend to overlook that. And I believe that, and that that's kind of the, that's the heart of God for us today as we look at Ephesians 2. That God's desire for us is not just getting work done, but it's who we get it done with. That is just as important to the heart of God as actually getting the work done. Does that make sense? You know, like when I was a kid, I used to take a basketball and bounce it up against this brick wall on the side of our house when I was a little kid doing that. And, you know, I played alone, you know, and of course, I made every shot that way. You know, he shoots, he scores again, he wins the game. And that's, that's just, that's great when it's me, my ball, and my overactive imagination at the backside of the house. But that's a big, that's a different experience than actually being on a team with four other guys playing, running down the court, passing the ball, running plays, isn't it? Entirely different experience. In fact, running the ball with a team is better. So that this morning we're talking about serving, but I'm talking about finding the joy of serving together. I, I believe that God wants us to find the joy of the team today. And as we're going through rooted together as a church, uh, this week is this week and next week are the weeks that we talk about serving and talk about the making the most of our lives, how God's uniquely designed us to serve. And the primary text that we're looking at is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 this week. And you see this scripture, it says this, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's super cool, that God prepared good works in advance for us to do. In other words, when you and your group this week are 
I know one group's raking leaves somewhere, and another group, I know you're making blankets, and you know, different groups are doing different things, for, which is awesome. When you're serving with your group, think of it this way. God prepared that in advance. Like, that's not just a random act of kindness, if you will. That actually fits in with God's plan that he purposed from before he created the world. He created you, prepared in advance good works for you to do. It's amazing. That gives incredible purpose to what you and I do. Your life is no accident. You're not just a, a random you know, lump of cells that just showed up. You, there's, there's a design, and there's a designer, and he's got a, a plan in mind. And part of God's plan is not just the work you do, but the ones you work with. That, that actually demonstrates, it, it reveals something about the heart of God and about the character of God that, you know, that, you, that doesn't get revealed in simply doing the work. Does this make sense? I hope I'm setting this up right. So today we're going to look at the entire chapter, Ephesians chapter 2, because verse 10, <clears throat> while it's awesome by itself and, you know, you can put it, on a, put it on a plaque, it's part of this whole context of God designing it so that we work with others, finding the joy of the team. That's part of the work that God prepared in advance for us to do. And to teach this this morning, I want to introduce my good friend. Uh, his name is Paul Boatje. So, Paul, would you come? Paul and I have been uh, talking about Ephesians chapter 2 now for a while, several months, and it's been kind of uh, it's been fun. Uh-oh. Now you're you good? All right, all right, all right. So, so Paul and his wife Esther pastor Graceland Church here in our area, and uh, they happen to be neighbors of Karis and mine, and we've just become fast friends, and they have four adorable kids, but I don't want to steal his thunder, so I'm going to let Paul introduce himself to you, and then we're going to actually attempt to co-teach Ephesians chapter 2, and uh, hoping... <laughs> We'll see how this goes. Yeah. We're, gonna, we're hoping that in doing it together, that that's an illustration of what God's talking about in Ephesians chapter 2. So this is the sermon illustration as we teach it, right? Yeah. All right, all right. So that's, so that's it. So Paul, let's give Paul a welcome. We've got to give him a new river welcome. Oh, you, let me... Uh... No, it's okay. All right. I'm sorry. It's all right. So Paul, tell us just quickly, you know, about yourself and Esther and your kids and where you come from and, well, and, I, and why you're so awesome. There we go. <laughs> See, that's his opinion. <laughs> I know one other person who thinks I'm awesome. That's my wife. My wife, Esther. Esther. Yeah. You step up a little bit. And, um, well, I think some of my kids are in the... Uh, I think they're in the grow zone. Grow, grow zone, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I live in South Windsor with my awesome neighbor, Dog. Um, and how long have you been pastoring? Tell us about Graceland Church. 
Well, Graceland Church started a little over a year ago. Um, we're a very family-oriented church. We are kind of uh, doing online services right now until we figure out some logistics on how to meet again. But um, we, we're happy. This is the second time I've been here, right? Yeah. I think so, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. All right. You want to know about me? This is me. There it is. Family man. All right. Yeah. So, so Paul, let's, uh, let's just get right into the Word this morning, okay? All right. Because we've got a lot of ground to cover. But, um, so we're going we're gonna to read this together. What we'll do is uh, I'm going to read verses 1 through 10, and then Paul's going to read the next section, and then together we're going to read the third section. So we'll try to tag team this all the way through, okay? But let's start with Ephesians chapter 2, yep. and we'll go with verse 1. The Apostle Paul is writing this, and he says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, mm. in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope, without God, in the world. But now, Christ Jesus you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier. Amen. The dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself 
one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we have both access to the Father by one spirit. Wow. Verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and mm. rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Can we all read verse 22 again together, mm. just in unison out loud, because that's that's where he culminates. That's where he ends. So let's read this together again, okay, out loud. And in, in him, him, you too are being built together, together to become, become a dwelling in which God lives by, by his, his spirit. spirit. Do you see that? We're being built together. Isn't that amazing? Built together. This, this passage is so powerful, Paul. Um, like I said, we've had so much fun talking about this passage. Mm. So, so let's break it down this way. So in this chapter, the Apostle Paul, I got the Apostle Paul and Pastor Paul, so uh -huh. I'm pretty well covered right now. So we got the Apostle Paul, not to be confused with Pastor Paul. The Apostle Paul has, makes three propositions. He makes three, like, um, yeah, he's, he's making three statements in this chapter. And the whole thing is built around those three. The first statement that Paul makes is, you were dead. That's where all of us started. Every one of us started at the same dead place. And we were all under the wrath of God. That's where we all were. But by God's grace, we've been made alive in Christ. That's the first proposition. See that in verses 1 through 10? And then the second proposition starts with verse... The second proposition is actually verse 13, but Paul sets it up with verses 11 and 12. So the second proposition is verse 13 there. But now in Christ, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So his second proposition is that, you, that we have been brought together in Christ. So we started off dead and God brought us to himself in Christ. We started off divided, and God brought us together in Christ. And the third proposition is verses 19 to 22. That's the end with this metaphor Paul gives of the household. And I, and I love this picture of the household. So now he says, now that we've been, now that dead people have been made alive in Christ, and now that divided people have been brought together in Christ, now we get the opportunity to be this house, this building, where, as verse 22, we just read together, says, try to, I mean, just 
this is mind-blowing, where the God of the universe mm. actually chooses to dwell. Mm. That is stunning, my friend. The God of the universe is putting together a household. And in this household, God lives. What do you think, Paul? I think God is a designer. I think he is. You know, and if, if you want to see any work of a designer, you have to look at what he's designed. Can you take a, a second and look around you? Just look around you. Do you see anything that God has designed? Some of it's uglier than others. I'm just going to be honest. Yeah? I'm just, I'm just joking. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Okay, go ahead. See? <laughs> In, in, in him, I see the handiwork of God. And if you look around you, every single person you see here is made in the image of God. Amen. So here we understand that if, if somebody is designed, then there must be a designer. And if there's a designer, there must be a purpose behind that designer. But one of the interesting things that Paul makes us understand here is the universality of God. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes we get into the mode of thinking God is always exclusive. Mm -hmm. The most exclusive thing about God is the way to him, which is through Christ alone. That's right. But the desires and the purposes of God have an inclusivity to it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son for whosoever. He died for the world, everyone. So Paul brings us to this inclusivity that involves everyone by highlighting the fact that we're all dead. We're all dead. Those who were close dead. and those who were far, guess what? Dead. Dead. Right. You, you don't get healed because you were close to the hospital. You're not in. Hmm. Right? The one who dies 100 miles away from the hospital and the one who dies at the door of the hospital, they're both dead. So in case you and I start highlighting on our little nuances, Paul says, hey, 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 dead. Death has a neutralizing factor yeah, to it. It does. It humbles everybody. It does. Whether you died at the top or you died at the bottom, dead. It's the equalizer. Equalizer. Mm -hmm. Somebody said six feet at last, right? <laughs> you, you may be five, five foot while you're alive, but when you die, you're six, six feet. feet. <laughs> hey, so there's hope for short people. Yeah. Hey, so, look at so, that. So Paul just <laughs> annihilates the little, little nuances that we like to stand on and feel tall. That's hey, right. dead. That's right. So we're starting at the same level, dead. And that's where God's grace comes in. That's it. Because that's the beauty of that message in the first 10 verses. Mm. Because, because you're dead, there's nothing you can do. Not dead people don't do That's one of the qualities of dead people. They don't no, do anything. They don't do, they don't do I've been much. to a lot of funerals, and yeah. they're the only one not moving, is the person in the casket. That's right. So dead people don't do anything. Don't do, yeah. And the point is God's grace. If it wasn't for God's grace, mm. and you and I have no idea we don't how far God had to reach. We don't know how hard it even was for God, what God had to do in order to 
bridge the gap between himself and us. And us. Like the fact, because it says there too, we were under wrath mm. by our very nature. We're, we're under the wrath of God. So God takes dead people under wrath and in his power gives them life. That's called mm. grace. Yep. So, so and, and I guess I just want to say we got to stop just right here at this point. You know, it's important to make this invitation, Paul, because not everybody understands this. You need to know mm. that it's not about, this is why it's not about being a good person. No. Because like Paul said, you could be really close to the hospital. You could be a really good person. Yep. But yep. if you fail to get in, you're dead. And that's the purpose of Jesus. Jesus came to pay that price. He's the hospital. And it's in Christ. Do you see that as we read chapter 2? That it's all about Jesus, isn't it? It's all about Jesus. Mm. He's the hero of this whole story. Mm. He's the glue that holds it all together. Uh, he's the strength. He's the, it's his grace. He's the one that gives us life. And so, my friend, this morning, I want to encourage you, if you have not yet acknowledge Jesus Christ as not just the Savior, but your Savior. Yeah. I encourage you to do that today. Today, You, you don't have to understand, to, you know, because can I be honest? You know, I've been to seminary. I don't know, I don't know everything there is to know about Jesus, but, but I know enough to know that he forgives me of my sins, mm. that he wants to make me right with himself, and that the God of the universe actually desires a relationship with you mm. and me. That's it's right. amazing. That's right. And I know that I brought nothing to the table because yep. I was dead. Dead. <laughs> and that's where we all... You keep saying that, Paul, but yeah. I see, that's where we all started. <laughs> we started there. And uh, so today, that problem in your life and mine can be resolved simply by acknowledging Jesus as your Savior. That's right. And, 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 and as simple as it sounds, right? In, in our world today, we used to try... Yeah, we are. Everybody's trying a little harder. What God invites us to do is not to try, but to trust. Yeah. That's why he said you don't have to understand it all, right? Mm -hmm. You just have to trust. Like when you sit in, a, in an airplane, I don't understand the dynamics. Listen, I'm still struggling with the world being round. <laughs> right? It, it's not flat, Paul. That, yeah. it, it just makes more sense to me, right? <laughs> I don't have to understand that, right? I trust that the aerodynamics... And the understanding of my pilot and the engineers will get me where I go and I sleep. It's called trusting. Mm -hmm. When you trust God in what he has done, you don't, you, don't, you don't try to find out the nuances of what grace means and how grace came about. You just trust that what he's done is enough. Amen. And that's what we're inviting you to do, um, if not now, at the end. That's right. right? Another thing I want us to, to, to look at is the fact that God had a plan. Yeah. God's designs are purposeful and intentional. In those designs, there may be differences, mm. but those differences pale in comparison to my favorite word today when we come and realize that we were dead. <laughs> That's right. This is the only time the word dead is not fearful. That's true. Because it brings us to life. Amen. To the point of the grace of God. And, and Paul's point then, if we move on through the chapter, the next section is, if God can heal 
that deadness. And if God can heal that separation that we had with him, well, then, obviously, God's powerful enough to heal the division, any division that exists between human beings. And that's this next section of Scripture. Are we divided as a people? Oh, come on. Yes. 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 Is there a reason for the division? I think the reason for the division is our differences, right? Now, you can focus on what makes us different from your perspective, and I can do that from my perspective. But as children of God, we are called to get the perspective of Jesus. Right? Okay. So remind me again, where am I reading? Your verses, uh, well, verses 11, 14 through 16. Okay. Or, yeah. All right. I'll just read from 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you were... You who are Gentiles by birth, called uncircumcised by those who call themselves circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. But now, somebody say, but now. But now. In Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of by Christ. the blood. blood. Notice that God did not leave your coming near to anything that you do. It's not, it's not. Left it to what? The blood. The blood. For he himself, not you, not me, not your pastor, but God himself our is our peace. That's right. Who made the two groups mm. one and has destroyed the barrier. God didn't destroy one group. He destroyed the barrier. That's In other right. words, God endorsed my difference or my diversity. Isn't it amazing that we don't do the same thing? With each other, I know. You know, the, 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 the blessing is in the diversity, but the world wants us to focus on the difference. Diversity means we do things differently. But in harmony. What's the difference when... Can, can we sing? Yeah. All right. What do you want to sing? Amazing Grace? Sure. Oh, that's a good one. Let's go. Do we got to sing it the way Curtis did it? Okay. So we'll sing. Yeah. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved You notice how when we started, some of you had to find your key and join, right? Now, in unity, we all sing in our own key, and, but in harmony, it means that he does something different. I sing something different, but with the aim of the final product, glorifying God. That's what we do in harmony. So you will never sound like me. I will never sound like you, but we can come together and make a beautiful sound that glorifies God. It's the truth. It's beautiful. That, that's the diversity that God wants. God is not asking me to grow my hair like him. That would take a miracle. Yeah, well, yeah. Right? But, but, but 
Isn't it beautiful how God wants us to, to revel in His design of how different He created us, but come together in diversity and harmony to reflect a God of all flesh, the Bible says. But we come united with the blood, not with what I do well. The blood is what unites us. That's right. Let Amen. me just finish the scripture. Oh, yeah, Otherwise, awesome. I'll keep talking. You're, you're rocking. For he himself is our peace, who made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside his flesh, the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose. The designer always has a purpose. Always purpose. His purpose was to create in himself one, one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through what? The, the cross. cross. By which he puts to death their hostility. That's right. He killed he it. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we have access to the Father by one spirit. Mm -mm. He preached peace to what? Both those who were far and those who were near. Like I said before, whether you were far or near, we all need one thing. We need the hospital. We need the hospital. We need the lifeline. He didn't preach a different message to those who were close or to those who were far. So you realize that even in our differences and our diversity, we have one need. Jesus. Christ is what we need. Amen. Christ is who we need. Christ is not for a group of people. He's for the world. The whole world needs him. He does. Amen. And Paul is letting us know the cross, the blood. The cross, the blood. That's right. It unifies. It brings diversity, but it also unifies. Yeah, I love that Ooh. term. One new humanity. One new humanity. Hmm. And, and, it's a, and it's one new humanity marked by Christ. Christ. So he's the, he's the very, he's the center of it. He's, yeah. the, he's the label on it. One new humanity. Um, you know, I just love, can I just, Google, yeah. so you know, I love some of the historical background of too. Of course. And so, you know, the Apostle Paul, he's writing this to the Ephesian Christians. And the Ephesian church was a divided church. Yep. They were divided between Jew and Gentile. And I know that we don't fully appreciate that division in our context, but you need to understand it was a very thick division. Oof. And it came, and it was centuries, if not thousands of years old by the time we come to the Ephesian church. Mm -hmm. And so if you picture in your mind, and you know, I, I have this active imagination. So if I picture in my mind, you know, this letter, the Apostle Paul, he writes it to this church. It would have been read in as the church gathered together. Mm -hmm. And they would have had a moderator is what they called it. And the moderator would have taken this letter. Hey, we have a letter <laughs> and it's from Paul. And they're going to sit down. And they're going to read this letter together. And you've got Jew and Gentile sitting in the same room, listening to this letter being read. Now, when Paul comes to verse 11, Paul uses this word. It's, it's, a, it's a word called an, anamnesis, and it means it's remembering. Paul's, Paul's saying, hey, remember this. But what Paul's asking them to remember is painful. 
Paul says, do you, and he asks him to remember six painful things. Do you remember how you used to be called this bad name? The name was uncircumcised. You go, well, that's not that bad of a name. I think I could come up with worse ways to talk smack than that. But that's, that's the name that they had. <laughs> Jews called Gentiles foreskins. Mm. And you know what had happened was, of course, circumcision was something that was unique to the Jewish people. And it was meant to be a part of the special covenant that they had with God. And it was also meant to be a constant reminder to them of the need to cut away the flesh, of the need to cut away your sin. It's me- it was meant to be a picture of, of the need to remain holy and to remain separate for God. And yet over time, mm. the Jewish people had turned it into a badge of honor. You see how they turn it into a way to divide? Yep. See? Yep. We're better than you yep. because we don't have them and you do. Right? So they, and they called Gentiles this name, and it was a derogatory name. But I love what the Apostle Paul does because Paul... Okay, Paul's like, puts him in their place. This was a big deal for the Apostle Paul. If you go to the book of Galatians, Mm -hmm. Romans, he dealt with this particular issue a lot with his Jewish comrades. And so here it is, he goes, he goes, uh, he goes by those who call themselves the circumcision. And then do you see that little parenthetical statement, which is done in the body by human hands? Mm. Now, every one of Paul's Jewish friends in the church of Ephesus would have known exactly what he was talking about. What he was talking about was Paul uses a word that came out of the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament that you and I would, that's what we would call it, the Old Testament. They did not call it that for the record. But it was the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And it was a word that simply replied, referred to the making of idols. And so Paul actually accuses his Jewish friends of making their circumcision an idol. Right? I'll I'll leave it there and keep it G-rated. So Paul goes, so so Paul's, so but but the point is, do you remember this name that you guys were called by these guys? Mm -hmm. And then, but Paul doesn't stop there. But you can imagine how it gets awkward. Just think of some of the names that we call one another. Mm. Mm. If we were to start mentioning those, it'd get awkward fast. Very fast. Same thing in the Ephesian church that day. And then Paul doesn't stop there. Paul goes, do you remember five other things? Let me remind you of five other things. You were foreigners, Mm -hmm. separate from Christ. Mm -hmm. You were without hope. You were without God. And by the time Paul gets done, you can just imagine this group of people feeling extremely uncomfortable, Mm. extremely awkward. Maybe the Gentiles in the group are getting angry because you're talking about that name. You're using that word. We don't like that word. And maybe the Jewish people in the congregation are feeling kind of defensive or awkward. and, And just as it gets to maybe fisticuffs, You know, the tension. So Paul's a brilliant writer. Writer, He's writing this, and now the tension is reaching this pitch. And then you come to verse 13, Mm. which you like. But now. But now. It's a beautiful but. Just Just as they're ready to fight, Paul says, but now. 
You need to yeah. know this. Now all that stuff, it's, it's gone. Mm. And in Christ, there's peace. Yeah. In Christ, there's one new humanity. We are one new humanity in Christ. Isn't that awesome? That's awesome. I just love how Paul does that. And how did Jesus fix it? By his blood. By his blood. You know, which, which is like the, it's the ultimate ace in the deck. You know, it's like when you're, when we little, sometimes moms say to their kids, you know, it's all fun and games till somebody pokes their eye out. Mm -hmm. And what that means is, sure, you're having a great time until something serious happens yep. that then changes all that. Well, we were all divided. We were all doing our own yeah. thing what? until something serious happened. And what was the serious thing? The blood of Christ. God himself became a man, shed his blood, in order to put all those shenanigans to rest, to bed, to end them. As he says, put to death, to death. our hostility. But you know what I like about this? Mm-hmm. Paul takes the focus of the history and introduces them to the mystery. Ooh. You know this boy can preach. You, okay, you, go ahead. Yeah. You can you 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 can you can decide to identify yourself by your history. And it is yours. Right? That's true. But maybe the purpose of God giving you that history was to stand upon that history and see what the mystery is. And when you do that, history becomes not my story, but it becomes his story. Amen. His so now power, I'm man. not clinging on to stuff. And I want to challenge everyone here. That's cool. That's a good word, actually. Begin to see yourselves through the eyes of Christ first. Right. I'm challenging myself to do that. Amen. Right? Because... Can anybody tell I'm African? Oh, hello. No way. If my, I mean, come on. My name is Boachi. My accent is heavy. I I'm like your accent. I'm as light-skinned as the can. I'm just kidding, right? <laughs> but, but. You know, I feel, you got to feel bad, right? Not, every, not everybody gets the good color. The rest I of know. us had to be white. I know. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay. But, but, but the idea is that God gave those to me. And yet, I can make that my idol yeah. by seeing everything through those eyes. Right. But that's not what God intended. Amen. I have to see myself and others through the perspective of Christ. Yeah. What Christ accomplished in the name of God for me. So my identity, I, don't, I shouldn't walk around saying, I'm an African Christian. What in the world is that? It means nothing in the kingdom. Nothing. Right, that's right. I must see myself as a Christian right. who God intentionally made an African. It's, that's right. You see how the perspective switches all of a sudden? Mm. So Paul did not even deny their history, but he's saying, don't make your history an idol. Right. Don't make your nuances and mm. the differences that, don't make that an idol. Mm. Everything must pale in comparison when we remember the cross. It does. When we know that it's the blood, not my work. That's right. That's the focus. In light of that, so many of the things that divide us today shrink. They do. On its own. They do. But the world would rather you try so hard to maintain an identity 
that God did not create for you to uphold. That's right. At least not primarily now. That's right. That's right. There's really only one legitimate identity. One humanity, he says. It's Jesus. That's right. He wanted one humanity. <laughs> and, and he's going to expand on that more, but the metaphors that Paul uses, a building. <laughs> you know, throughout the Bible, the church is never called a car, a company. <laughs> you know, everything about the church is unity, togetherness, a building, a vine, right. a family, a household. Mm. It's true. And that's that third word picture. That's the third <laughs> proposition that Paul makes. So do you see how he's going with this? Do you see how this goes? If God can heal the deadness Ooh. and the division between us and him, the greatest gap of all, that we can't even imagine how great the gap was, if God can heal that, and then if God can bring us together and heal the division between human beings, mm. well, then this third piece can become a reality. And this third piece is that we become the household of God. God. We become the people in which the God of the universe actually chooses to dwell. That's right. He dwells in that. And, and that's where he ends in, these, in verses 19 to 22. Do you see that? He ends with this metaphor of the household. And, and I love the picture of a household because a household implies a couple of things. Mm. It, it, it implies, first of all, it implies that, that there's unity. That's right. It has I mean, to be. Because, you know, you might be a great door, but a door by itself is meaningless without the rest of the house. It's not, a house is not just windows. A house is all of those parts together. together. And here in verses 19 to 22, you see what unites us? We got the same foundation. Same foundation. Sure. You stand on the apostles and prophets. I stand on the apostles and prophets. Same foundation. And we have the same cornerstone. Jesus, you see that in the text? Yep. Same cornerstone. Jesus holds you together. Jesus holds me together. Um, Jesus ish. holds us together. And then it says, in him you're being built. So Jesus is actually the mortar. He's not just the cornerstone around which the household gets built. Jesus is the cement. He's the mortar holding the stones together, together. holding the house together. So there's unity in this household, which is really super cool. The second thing that's implied in this metaphor of a household is it takes work yeah. because it's a building. There's a building going on. You know, it doesn't just suddenly appear. It takes a lot of effort to actually build a household. Mm. And then the, the third piece about this household that I think is super cool is it implies hospitality. A household, it's where you welcome others in. And, and you can see that Boy, we live in an aching, hurting, breaking world that's more divided than ever before, finding all kinds of reasons to sling mud at one another. Yep. There's, there's something beautiful about it when the world looks and they see this multicolored, multi-ethnic, multi-talented church. Mm. They see all these people. And they're coming together around this one hero, mm. Jesus. Mm. And, and the world sees that and they go, what is it that makes you guys one? Like, what is that? Because yeah. on any other day, you guys would be just as divided as the world is. That's right. What is it that brings us together? 
Jesus. Jesus. He's the, he's the answer. He's the message that we have to the world. You see how attractive that is? Yeah. So the household, the household is naturally hospitable, right? It's, it's a welcoming place. Come on in. Come and find rest. Yeah. Come and, hey, have a coffee. Can I, you know, can I get you a cup of tea, a glass of water? It's, it's naturally welcoming others in. I love this I picture love of the household. I love that. It's, but, but also, you know, for us to become a building, mm-hmm. like you said, it's not easy. No, it isn't. It requires work. Yep. Mm-hmm. Because for those of you who are very technical, engineering-minded, uh, for this building to be what it is now, some parts were sawed off. They were. Right? Some parts were cut. Mm-hmm. In other words, for us to be knit together, I must be willing for God to do some pruning. Mm-hmm. Because if I want to remain the way I was displayed in the store, mm-hmm. we're not going to fit together. Mm-hmm. And a beautiful door in Home Depot does not open to any house. But once it comes, in order to fit in that door frame, even if it was bought with measurements, there still has to be some mm-hmm. adjustments here and there mm-hmm. for us to be knit together. Another thing is that for us to be a building, I can't be focused on just the door. Right, yeah. right, because yeah. a little leak compromises what can happen in this building. Just that little leak. Everything might be functioning in this building well, but if I'm not concerned about that leak, all of a sudden, it's uncomfortable in here. It's not safe anymore. The building might look strong on the outside, but and in the body of Christ, every single person, every single group matters. You know why? Because God didn't pay a different price for you. That's right. He paid the same price for you and for me. That's right. Bought with the same blood. Same blood. There's, there's no That's right. grace. That's right. So, so just kind of as we wrap this up, Paul, so kind of a couple of questions, and we're not, probably not going to cover, I think we had three questions up there, but we're just going to, you know, cover Brutal them real word. quick here, you know. But I think we talk about one new humanity, mm-hmm. right? So let's, we want to try to get practical a little bit. So does one new humanity, and you just kind of alluded on it, alluded to it, does one new humanity mean that uh, we have to ignore the differences? You know, I ignore the fact that you came from this culture and I come from that culture, uh, is, is that what it means? Because so, it seems like that's in the world, that in order, that in order to, uh, to bring unity, the world's like we all have to be uniform. You have to agree with the same thing and look the same way and talk the same talk, and now you're one. And I don't know that that's exactly what the heart of God is. No. What do you think? I think the story of Pentecost just blows that theory out of, you know. Mm-hmm. When the Spirit of God really comes, we can speak different languages and address the same God. So God wants us to be uniquely different, not because we are carving a niche for ourselves, but because He created us differently. But whatever we do, whatever we aspire to be, and however we do it, should be focused on Him. He is the potter. And we're the clay. We're the clay. He is the designer. And we're the design. That's right. So no matter, you know, and, and we, you, you know, 
Let's look at it this way. Those of you who are musically inclined, you could play a song on a keyboard. You could, actually, I've, I learned something new. You could play a song on just white keys. You could play a song just on black keys. But anybody who knows music knows that when you combine both the black and the white keys, the music is full. That's right. And it's richer. Right? So God wants us to be unique in the way he created us. But our, the summation of our efforts and all that we want to be should point towards him, should glorify him. Look, yeah, at, look at our country, for example. If, if I have an American passport, does that make me a non-Ghanaian? No. Right? At the end of the day, when I show my passport, I'm an American citizen. Does it matter where, where I was born and where I came from? No. In the same way. Those who are far off, those who are near. Your new passport says you were bought with the blood of Jesus. That's right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's your identity. Mm -hmm. And that's the identity we ought to perpetuate. So it's okay to celebrate the differences. Oh, it's okay. It's actually beautiful. We, it's beautiful. It's part of what makes the music music. You know, I love that. No, that's a great illustration on the piano. Nobody sits and listens to a song and says, oh, that's a black key they just played. No. Oh, that's a white key they just no. played. You listen to it and you say, what a Ooh, really what nice a, song. That's mm. a beautiful song. Mm. Hey, guess what? Jesus is our song. That's right. And it's a beautiful song. Mm. That's something. Yeah. And when we play it together, it's awesome. The world sees them, and yeah. that's the goal. Yeah. But along the way, because we're different, mm. we're bound to bother each other at some point. I'm bound to do something that you go, mm. what? And, and uh, you'll probably do the same thing to yep. me. So now what do we do with that when, when our differences become uh, a point, a source of conflict? Because let's just face it, yep. that happens. It happens. Um, and we are building, like we said. We're building a house. So the house, eh, that takes work. Mm -hmm. so, so what do we do with that when, uh, you know, I do something that, that bugs you I or vice versa? I think we go back to the design. Okay. For me, that's how, because we, we, we can get comfortable, once again, in our differences and our diversity. But if you go back to the, for example, if you say something that offends me, mm -hmm. my default should be, I know the heart of this man. Right. He will not intentionally try to hurt me. Amen. Right? So if I'm offended, I'm offended with what he said, but not who he is. Right. So when I approach him, I'm like, maybe you said this in a way, I'm not sure, versus... And we've done that, by the way, already. Right you know? <laughs> so it has... Had that conversation. We, 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 we have to get out of ourselves. Yep, yep. And always, as a Christian, as a child of God, you have to discipline yourself to develop the mindset and the perspective of God. First, we have a designer. We have a design, and we have to discover it. You know, as a child of God, you don't create your purpose. You discover, discover the purpose, purpose that God created us Then for. you discipline yourself through the grace of God so that even your desires and your decisions go in line with the designer. Amen. Because you are not the designer. You are the design. That's right. Amen. I love that. That's great. Right? Yeah, it's, I love that you say, you may, 1 Corinthians 13 mm. says, love believes all things. 
You know, yeah. as Paul said, we've got to believe the best in one another. That's right. I got to believe that your motive is not to, to hurt me or vice versa, mm. but that we're actually on the same team together. And, mm. and we got to recognize that we will step on one another's toes. Oh, yeah. That's going to happen. When it does, we address the issue and we don't go after, we don't attack the character of the person. We, we deal with, we the, deal with it. the event, yep. you know, we talk about the event. And actually in doing that, that brings understanding and unity even more. In fact, it really tightens the bond. And even if you intended it, I have to realize that he's not my enemy. The Bible says that no. we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And so blood. you are not my enemy. And when we fight against each other, regardless of our, dif uh, our differences or similarities, that's like having a mosquito on a wall, and you take a shotgun and say, hey, you mosquito, I'm going to kill you. Now, you might kill the mosquito, but you invite a whole colony inside your house. <laughs> and sometimes we do that. We use the wrong weapon for the wrong enemy. That's true, we do. My weapon for you is love. That's a good picture, yeah. man. Blasted a mosquito. That's great. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. We got to stick to that. You're always good at the, he, he is so good at, at, like, he comes up with these word pictures, just, I don't know how he does it, but it's just, that's a gift. So, <laughs> thank you, thank you, Paul. Um, one more, though, there's one more word the Lord gave to us, this, or actually gave to Paul this morning, he shared it when we first came in this morning, we were praying together about the prodigal son and the story of the prodigal son. Um, I don't want to... Can I steal it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll just say. I probably what, don't remember what I said, but yeah. No, yeah. So, so the story is this, you know, and, we'll, and then we're going to pray. So guys, if you want to come and play, that'd be great. You know the story of the prodigal son that Jesus told. It's a story about a father with two sons, and the one son says, hey, dad, give me my money, and he takes off, and he squanders all of his money and wastes it. And, and, the, and the insight that the Lord shared with Paul this morning was that, you know, the father was still rich when the son, when the younger son took off with the money. The father was still rich. He wasn't suddenly eating mac and cheese and that kind of thing. Like, he still had hey, I the like farm. mac and cheese. He still had the, you know, he's not eating ramen noodles. He's still, he's, he's still not got, bad on a good day, too. I know, I like ramen noodles. But he's, the father, the point is the father's still rich. But the father is incomplete. Because his son wasn't home, no. and his sons weren't together. Mm -mm. And it's a great picture, I think, too, of the heart of our God. Our God has all the resources he needs. He, there's never a moment where God is missing anything. Never a moment at all. But yet, there is, a, there is something about completion there. Mm. That when we come together, it completes the heart of God. It completes the, the message, you know? of God that he has for the world to see. And the world needs to see it now more than ever. And, ever. and we believe very much like the, that the joy is in the journey together and serving together. There's, there's getting the work done, that's great, but there's getting the work done together. together. That's the sweet part. And, uh, and even this week, next couple weeks, when you're with your rooted group and you're serving together, think about that. Think about just the joy of doing it together and, 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 and receive the pleasure of that. Does that make sense? Because yeah. it really is. That's, that's a gift, too. 
that we don't want to overlook. So let's pray together and, uh, and give this to the Lord, okay? Thanks for listening today. If you'd like more encouragement or information about New River Church, check us out at newriverchurch.org.